I'm David Irvin. I'm a leadership development specialist and best-selling author. And we want to welcome you to the Leaders Navigator podcast. The premise is simple. The podcast will provide you with insights for living and leading the authentic way so that you will be better equipped to amplify your positive impact as a difference maker in any area in your life. We'll cover a variety of topics related to authenticity. We'll hear stories of how authentic leaders came to be who they are, and we'll create a platform for you to submit questions that you'd like us to address in all the different topics that we talk about here and in my books. What is uniquely special is that I'm going to be doing this podcast together with my daughter, Haley. I am super excited about this opportunity to work jointly on this project that we are both so passionate about. So stay real. Haley? I love that. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Um, so today, I think we're, we're going we're gonna to take this episode off as our second episode. Uh, and I'm just excited to sort of be uh, interviewing you, Dad. Um, I'm really excited because while I think I know these answers to these questions, um, I'm really excited to be chatting about them here in this platform um, instead of, you know, when we usually go for hikes and we have these chats or, you know, as we're driving into, you know, some big long road trip together or something like that, especially now that I'm an adult too and I am excited to, to ask you these kind of questions. Um, especially like when we look at your, your, your journey and your story with, with everything like that too. So, um, and again, too, I apologize. You can probably tell by the sound of my voice, it's allergy season here where I am. And despite all of the many medications I've tried, um, I still sound like I have something stuck in my nose. So <laughs> thanks for your patience with me. <laughs> it's all about being real. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess maybe we'll just start off with, uh, you know, maybe we'll start with what is, why is authenticity important to you? Like this has been your life work and as like, like at least as long as I've been aware of it. Um, and so, you know, just why is this such an important topic to you that in exploring with work, with the workplace and with workplace culture um, and with your own personal journey, why is authenticity important? Well, there's kind of a backstory to this. And that is, I, I was a family therapist in the 1980s and I got burned out as a family therapist and I started, you know, it's really interesting when you're a family therapist, nobody ever brings in their good kids. So all I saw were people with problems and, and people in pain. And I thought there's got to be a better way to do this. So I started to do talks for parents and I ended up getting business executives coming to my parenting talks. And what I was talking to the parents about is raising accountable kids. Well, I got business executives that came into my parenting talks who said, you should come and talk to our company about this. It's the same principle. So what I did is that I took the same principle. I had no idea what I was doing. It's called consulting, right? So I, this was in the, in the late 80s. And I started to take what I learned about families and adapting it into organizations. And what I discovered was that it was actually pretty valuable. And so I took my philosophy. I went into business with two other guys. We wrote a book called Accountability, Getting a Grip on Results back in the 90s. And we still sell copies of that book. And basically, it was my philosophy and it was their tool. They had lived collectively probably 40 years in, in uh, corporate world. And they taught me about the corporate world. And I gave them my philosophy about raising kids. And we combined it. And we turned this into a philosophy of, raise, of, of building accountability in the workplace. Well, that really launched my career. And that's what I did in the 90s. But something was missing. And what was happening is that we, were, we had this amazing what we thought was pretty cool uh, performance management process and managing expectations. 
and we were clarifying results and helping companies getting a grip on results. But it was it turned into a check the box exercise, and there was something missing. So I started to do research, and we we spent about in the early two thousands. I said, what do what do you really want from your leaders? And what we got was what was missing in the whole accountability piece was this thing called authenticity. And what we got from the research that we did with really hundreds of people is we just want our leaders to get past the fads and gimmicks of the month and flavors of the month and gimmicks. And we just want our leaders to be real. So I started to research this whole authenticity piece. And what I discovered was what was missing was to, is to integrate authenticity into accountability. And so that's what really engages people. So authenticity without accountability is, is like what we just would be fantasy. Okay, it's a lot of great ideas. We're engaged. We love each other, but we aren't, and we love what we're doing, but we're not being accountable. At the same time, accountability without authenticity is just drudgery. So when you combine them together, you really get an unstoppable organization. It's really what I've been building my company on in the last 20 years is integrating accountability with authenticity in the workplace so that people get work done that matters and they do it in a meaningful way. So that's kind of the professional backstory. I was wondering with that too, like, you know, in terms of accountability, um, cause I know that's a word we, you threw around a lot, especially as I was growing up. Um, <laughs> I joke about, um, I tell my students this all the time. I'm a teacher also, um, but I tell my students all the time when we're talking about accountability that when I wanted a dog, I remember this when I was in grade four <laughs> and I really wanted a dog. Um, and in order to get a dog, you made me write up an accountability agreement to sort of say, um, what am I willing to offer um, in terms of being accountable to this dog and to the family? What is, what is the agreement? Am I gonna take it for walks? Uh, and I remember making this whole PowerPoint presentation. And then finally I get this dog that, you know, I loved very dearly. Um, but I was just wondering like, how did, how did like, like in terms of parenting specifically and accountability, um, I guess what has like that looked like? I mean, obviously, you know, I am your daughter, so I experienced it firsthand, but I'd be curious now talking to you about it um, now that we're both adults or well, now that I'm an adult, um, what that specifically looked like in terms of the connection between often or uh, accountability for parenting. And then we can talk authenticity for parenting too. Well, absolutely. And I'm still growing up myself. So um, <laughs> age is a number. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you were really my guinea pigs because I was, we were Yay. working on these accountability agreements because I had this whole philosophy of putting responsibility onto kids and you know, really raising a climate at home that would help you be accountable. But then I was learning from these colleagues about this, this process and called the accountability process. And we were, I was experimenting with you and I was experimenting with your teachers. When we went for those uh, student-led stu uh, conferences with your teachers growing up, I think they all dreaded me coming because I was the accountability guy. And I was going <laughs> to, you know, I was going to say, well, let, let me tell you about accountability. But typically, I have to say that, that accountability has often been seen as a stick. And people rarely get inspired about accountability because it's often seen as blame and, and, and punishment, and we're going to nail people for being accountable. But I, I soon really helped 
your teachers learn that it's really an inspiring way of saying, hey, what are you going to be agreement? For? What, are, what are you going to agree to? What am I going to agree to? And how do we support each other to be good partners? And that's really what the intent was uh, to teach you about accountability. And how do we be good partners together around helping and supporting you and you supporting us? And that we just kind of clarify our agreements to each other. And that was the intent behind it all. Mm-hmm. And it's still to this day, I still get asked to do a lot of talks and I still love to talk about accountability, but I won't go into an organization and just talk about accountability if I can't integrate also this whole notion of authenticity. Well, didn't I, a lot of it, I guess, must have stuck. I, I'm just reflecting on this now. Um, a lot of time, accountability obviously is a big thing with, uh, with teaching. Um, and just speaking, I guess, from my own experience, even this week, um, we're nearing the end of term. So a lot of dead, deadlines are, are fast approaching. I work with teenagers, I teach high school. Um, and so it, <laughs> it's just very interesting because I actually literally just had a conversation this very afternoon with one of my students um, about reaching these deadlines. Um, and the student was, was really struggling to find a strategy to work. Lots of work was piling up, needed to meet this deadline with all these assignments before the end of the year. Um, and it's just, I just, just clicked to me now that, you know, showing the support and having a conversation with them about like, what is it, what do we need to do together to get this done? What do we need to do? Um, that seemed to work today. Um, and he, you know, he got a lot done today and he, he turned in a lot of work. Um, so it was really interesting to just sort of, you know, work through that from a place of support. I found a lot of success and I, I've never really thought of it as a, something, obviously you taught to me, but I've just uh, made that connection just now. So that's kind of neat. Well, it's probably um, more integrated in you than you realize. But yeah, remember, sure. when we talk about accountability, there's always a balance. It's yeah. a balance between supporting and pushing. Yeah. And if you get that out of balance, too much support and you build entitlement mm. and you build anxiety because then there's not a, a cap- not confidence in your capability. But pushing without supporting just builds resentment. And you got to continually... Uh, balance those two and I think you would do you do that intent intuitively as a teacher (laughs) I try (laughs) um and I guess too so so then why is it and I know you've kind of mentioned this before but really what is it about authenticity and accountability and leadership how are these three sort of you know big words these buzzwords if you will right how are they all integrated together and how can one of them never exist without the other two well, they're integrated together, and if if they if you do try to extract them, you get an uh, you get a, a life and an organization that's not integrated. Um, but I, I it's, it's a strange thing because what I discovered when I began to do this research around what was missing in organizations and develop this whole approach to authenticity, what I began to see is a parallel in my own life and how I also have. Ha- well, not also, but how I have really struggled with learning to be authentic in my own life. And then I began to develop a whole philosophy this last couple of decades around what do I mean by authenticity and and how do we live an authentic life and what is the value of authenticity, both in life and in leadership, and how when you're authentic, it really amplifies the influence and impact that you have on the world. And what does that actually mean? So it turned also into a personal story. You know, Haley, you've you've heard me say this, but I always used to think that you had to know something to write a book about it. And actually, in fact, 
if you want to learn something, write a book about it and travel around the country and talk about it for 10 years, there's no better way to learn something than to teach it and to, to write about it, you know, develop a philosophy and then teach it. And then you get feedback. And it's, it's really been my best development tool over my career is my writing. That's how I learn and my teaching. Your grandfather taught me that actually, uh, that if you want to learn something, teach it. He used to sit on my bed every night, Grandpa Harley. And he used to sit on my bed and said, what'd you learn today? And he wouldn't get off my bed until I told him something that I learned. Uh, I used to lie to him, just get him off my bed. But it was my, it was his way of really solidifying uh, teaching what, what I was learning. That's what mom always said too. You teach what you most need to learn. <laughs> oh, I, I know um, that. <laughs> That's the other <laughs> side of it. That which we're most capable of teaching is what we're most in need of learning. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's I I don't you and I have had lots of discussions about meditating. Um and I get my students to meditate all the time. I find it it's really beneficial for them. Do I meditate? No. Should I? Yeah. Do I? No. <laughs> Never happened. But I tell them that it's well, really great. You keep, you keep planting that seed. It'll eventually yeah, integrate into you. <laughs> it's just so boring. I just get bored sitting still. I know I need to do it. It's probably why I need to do it, because I can't sit still. <laughs> but I just never do it. <laughs> exactly. I guess speaking, I guess from the, you know, professional and the personal angle too, um, what has your, your story been? I, you've talked a little bit about your professional story as well. Um, but that personal story, like how have you found authenticity? What have been some sort of cornerstone events and in, in your upbringing that have really helped you to find that journey towards authenticity, both either, I guess, professionally or personally. Um, but yeah. Well, it's really interesting. So the whole notion of authenticity is the fact that we're born authentic. And this, this, this model that I, that I really have honed in and developed uh, over these last couple of decades is, is a long time developing. But the notion is that when we're born, we're born authentic. You, what, when you hold a baby, who you, who you, what you see is what you get. They, they're, they, they come into this world not as a blank slate. Anybody with more than one child or, or has been around more than one child right from the get-go knows that you have your own unique destiny, your own unique uniqueness. It's what I call the seed of possibility. But we grow up in this world that doesn't necessarily support our authentic self. And so we grow up uh, having to construct a self so that we build a self that's separate from the authentic self in order to feel safe, in order to feel successful, and that we distance ourselves. And that's when we diminish the meaning in life, we diminish the full experience of life, and we diminish from a leadership perspective, we diminish the capacity to impact people when we're disconnected from that authentic self. And we do it to cope. So what my whole notion is around authenticity is that if you begin to, there's several ways to reconnect with your authentic self. And one of the ways is to look at your life story and to reframe some of the ordeals that you had in your life that were actually uh, wake up calls to bring, to help you become more authentic. So if you look at your life story, there were some real clear defining moments for me. So uh, being diagnosed with polio when I was four, and having to come to grips with that. In retrospect, all of the experience of having to get strengthened, and my dad was a gymnast and he worked with me and strengthened me, that whole journey through elementary school 
uh, helped me develop a sense of compassion for people. So looking back at it now and shining a light on it, I began to understand that that was a defining moment, one of the first defining moments in my life, living with some trauma in my family because there was a lot of conflict in my parents' relationship. They were very encouraging and very loving, but I never really felt safe. So living in that trauma, coming to grips with that, healing from that trauma, looking at my past actually helped shape me and be able to do this life's work that I do. Another defining moment was growing up in a fundamentalist religion and coming to grips with uh, going to graduate school. And my undergraduate school was uh, in a was a church was this church owned university, and I was you know really conditioned in this church and got a lot of really good insights growing up. But then I went through a faith crisis when I got into graduate school and I got educated and began to really question whether or not this is what this is the right thing for me. And it cost me my first marriage. It cost me my community, my whole upbringing, my whole sense of roots were uprooted um, in my 20s as I came to this to this real crisis in faith. This was what I know today to be one of my defining moments that has helped shape me and make me who I am. And there's been a there's been a, a real theme in my life, Haley, around pleasing people and accommodating people and and develop, you know, and and developing a place in the world based on giving up myself. And so my own path to that my own pain points around that has actually been the place that has been my greatest contribution in the world where, as I always say, where our wounds are is where our greatest gifts are. And so my own journey actually exposed uh, some deep uh, wounding, but it actually, the other side of that coin is I've worked with that and embraced it and faced this um, has actually brought some of my greatest gifts out into the world. So it's, it's been a real parallel journey between the professional journey and what I've gotten in the research and what my research has been in my own personal life. Do you have any, just speaking of, you know, thinking about these crises that you've had to go through, um, what would you say to someone who's like, whether it be a faith crisis or an identity crisis or a midlife crisis or any of these, these moments of, of turbulence and where you're, you're sort of faced with the easy road where you can just sort of sit back and accept it, but you're not living your authentic self or the challenging road that has a lot of self-reflection ahead, a lot of potential loss ahead, a lot of wounds ahead. When you're at these crossroads between the easy road and the right road, um, what would you say to somebody who's in that crisis in the midst of one of these crises that you're talking about? What advice would you have for them? Well, I don't know if I would have advice but I would hold them compassionately and reinforce with them that this is an important stage in their life right now. And to help them reframe it, not as a crisis that needs to be fixed, um, not as a problem, not to pathologize it in a way that there's something wrong with me, but actually to hold it compassionately as a possibility that maybe this is a doorway into deepening yourself and what I would suggest to them is to um, trust it and to get support with staying with the journey because it's here for a reason. 
it's no different than the process of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Well, if you look at some of the stages in that, you could pathologize, you know, there'd be that mushy stage that says, you know, we, we got to send this person to a psychiatrist. Well, no, it's just a stage in the whole development of the, of the, of the developing the capacity to live its destiny, which is to become a, a, a butterfly. So metaphorically, it's like the hero's journey, where you are on this on the journey, and in the middle are are uh, roadblocks. But those roadblocks, eventually, you begin to realize as you embrace them, become stepping tone, stones to a new life. Where something is asking, whatever crisis is in your life, there's something asking of you to be born, and if you could reframe it as, an, as a, a, a new possibility rather than a pathology. That's the message that I would give to people in the midst of a crisis. Mm. And how, here's, a, here's another one too. How does all of that connect to accountability? Oh, it's a great question. Um, that is, the, that is the, the, the question that guides really all of my work. And that as you awaken to yourself, uh, oftentimes what happens is you begin to realize that you've been overly accountable to the world and not accountable to yourself, to your own voice. That in order to survive as a coping mechanism, many of us develop this notion of being overly accountable in the world. And so what my message would be is to turn that inward and to, and to look at the soul's desire rather than the society's demands and integrate society's demands with the soul's desire. And then you really have a fulfilling, satisfying life. So uh, that this is where accountability can actually help you ground your authentic self so that you really make a contribution in the world. That's cool. What, uh, speaking of that, um, being accountable to society's demands. I'm sure growing up in, in that church, that's a huge part of it, right? That instilling that accountability, right? And, and being accountable to the church and to the world of that. So what was it finally that made you realize that this is no longer something I can be accountable to? I know you mentioned it was graduate degree, but what gave you that, that moment of this, I can no longer be accountable to this world. I need to be accountable to myself. What was it specifically? Can you nail down specifically what it was that that really made you, or, or a series of events perhaps, that made you really want to dive headfirst into that crisis of, of, of what to do now? Well, I think I began to question the, um, the hierarchy, the patriarchy, as I began to become more aware of myself and get out of my, I mean, this is, you were talking here about a 10 year journey, Haley. So you ask a beautiful question. It's very difficult to articulate in just a few minutes, but I began to awaken my true self. So I had, I had in the church, I had fulfilled this role of what you have to do in order to be a good citizen within that church. And within that role, there was a lot of, um, good values that got instilled in me, but it was based on a lot of obedience. And so there was confusion about what's me here and what's the church, what really is aligned with my soul 
and what is just I'm simply doing to be obedient to the church. And so I started to really begin um, probably in graduate school was the first point that I started to really examine my own values and what really matters. And I stepped away from the confines and the safety of the church. And I began to really examine those values within myself. And I began to say, does this really fit for me anymore? And then I began to go to these church services where I began to see this incongruence between my soul and what was happening at the front of the, in the front of the congregation in the podium at the podium. And I began to see this incongruence. And I so it, it, it began a journey for me to really take a deep dive into what I truly value. And that probably has lasted a lifetime, that journey, because I was so conditioned to accommodate and to be accountable, if you will, to the structure and to the church leaders, as opposed to really listening to my own deeper voice my own true spiritual nature. In terms of, of discussing accountability with that too, is there, or sorry, not accountability, authenticity when we're talking about, you know, leaving the church. Um, was there anything about that life that is still so ingrained of who you are um, that you can't just completely reject all of the church, but something deeply deep seated in you uh, when, when acknowledging your authentic, your authentic self, anything in there that's impossible to fully remove, I, obviously you grew up in this, in this environment. So is there anything true that you can't reject? That's just truly part of who you are. That was remnant of that church. Well, I, I think this whole nature of reaching out to a spiritual source, um, you know, having a spiritual foundation, um, having, um, the importance of family values, the importance of having discipline in your life. I mean, there was a lot of really good disciplines and, and ways of thinking about the world that really helped me develop a notion of accountability. Um, and, but and then with that comes this need to please and this sense of wanting to uh, respond to authority figures in my life and compromising myself. So there's this there's this pleasing nature in me that also I've had to work with over the years that's caused a lot of anxiety in me. And, and also this push for perfection, because there was a real strong value within that religious context of continual improvement. And, you know, to a degree, that was a good value to keep pushing yourself and to keep striving to be better. But where it became, it, it overused its function when it got to the point of proving yourself continually uh, based on performance. And your whole identity is based on performance. And it created a lot of stress and has created a lot of stress, though some of those old beliefs that I gave myself as a result of responding to the church. Mm. Speaking of that performance, I guess uh, another question I guess I have for you. Um, like, by the way, you probably picked up on a lot of those values yeah. that I had uh, that I've had to work with and that that has a good side and you know it's like a blessing and a curse, right? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Right. Um, it's I, I really it's interesting when you when you mentioned perfectionism too, right? Actually, that was that was my next question too. Um, especially with that, right? Like that and that need for improvement. Um. And I, I guess too, it, I find it interesting because a lot of your work is about self-improvement, right? And, and, and how, where, where is, what, what point 
is there like an authentic way for you to, to, in terms of your own, I guess, like it's hard to, to prescribe this for everybody else, but is there a point where you're like, you know what, I'm good enough for today? Or is there a point where it's just, you know what, let's just keep improving. Let's keep getting better. Is there a way to balance those two kind of opposing forces of good enough and let's do, let's do even better. Let's grow bigger. Let's grow. Let's, let's improve. Well, you've just actually asked me the question that has that has uh, that I've struggled with all my life. Oh, no. <laughs> you've, you've created this fundamental uh, paradox. You brought it out into the open, and I so appreciate you exposing this. As as uncomfortable as it is, there, my daughter. Um, so it really, I'm I am evolving slowly into this place of being good enough, and then having knowing that I'm good enough and then expressing myself more fully rather than striving so much, rather than driving myself so much, being fully present and then, and then let, allowing my full presence to come out more fully in the world is really where I'm moving to in my own development right now. So it isn't about getting a standard and then that's good enough. It's being good enough the way I am. I don't actually have to prove myself to be worthwhile. And what I, you know, what I teach leaders is uh, to start to feel comfortable with yourself so that your life is, a, is an expression of your life, of your gifts, rather than trying to prove yourself because there's never enough. It just becomes very addictive, which is really going to be a story for another podcast. I, uh, it reminds me of this, one of my all-time favorite books of all time uh, is called East of Eden by, by John Steinbeck. Um, and one of my favorite lines that sticks with me quite often, and I, I try to share it with my students, I guess probably because I teach what I mostly to learn, <laughs> um, but is this line that now that you don't have to be perfect, you can be good. Um, and uh, I feel like that kind of maybe, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like that really embodies that, that journey um, about, you know, perfection and goodness and, and what good means and, and being authentic and good and being your best self that you can be at that moment of time. Epitom I epitomizes it beautifully. That's exactly yeah. what you get to. And you, you recognize the totally undervalued virtue of human goodness. Mm -hmm. And I, I know that this is where my work is leading me these days. And I think this will be the, probably the final chapter of my work is to really help people value, you know, before you can be a good leader, you first of all have to just be a good human being. And in fact, uh, that's where the best leadership comes from. It's just being a good person. And you don't have to strive to get there. It's really a sense of self-compassion and self-expression. Mm -hmm. oh, beautiful. That's, a, so that's I, probably a good place to leave this, this uh, yeah. session. I know I'm getting all excited. I was busy taking notes while we're doing this. I'm all excited about our future sessions too. And I've got lots of great ideas for future topics. And yeah, this is really great. Um, I guess before, before we close off, dad, we should do our, our gratitude at the end. What are you grateful for this week, dad? Oh my gosh. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm, as usual, I'm grateful for this opportunity and I'm, I'm really, truly, sincerely grateful. I get very emotional about this, that <laughs> that you are passionate about doing this with me yeah. and that this really interests you and that we can find some alignment in our two careers, because mm -hmm. I think this is so important for, that it. I'm grateful to see you shine in your career and that, <laughs> that what I have to offer um, is something of value to you. Absolutely. So that I'm very, very grateful for. 
Absolutely. I'm grateful for this experience too. It's really great to be able to carve this chunk out of our week to prioritize this. And, you know, when you're not running off to boxing or I'm running off on a, a run or running off to this activity and that, it's really great to be able to prioritize this and have this as like a touchstone uh, of our week. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm just, it's also really great for me. I always love the, the month of June too, because it's a uh, it's an, in one way an end of things because it's the end of a school year, but it's also the beginning of summer and beginning of new things as well. So I find it's a really beautiful time of year. And I think that also kind of, you know, epitomizes what we're, we're able to start doing, right? We're, 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 big, we're, we're moving on to this next chapter and this, this, next, uh, this next project and endeavor together. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, it would be awesome. And next time I'm going to interview you and get your Woo-hoo! story about authenticity and your journey through this. So that I look forward to as well. <laughs> Oh, man, it's a lot shorter than your story, just simply because I'm a little younger than you, but we'll see what we got. <laughs> oh, you never know what's going to come out of this. So let's just see what unfolds. And it's a real privilege. And thanks for listening. And uh, everybody stay real. <laughs> Take care.